0: this morning. I'd like to do a few announcements. Uh, The first one I'd like to remind you to do a search in your pew for the red pew pad and to sign it because for everyone that signs it I get a dog. No that's not right. Uh, But please sign it. We would appreciate having record of your attendance here today. One announcement is that Bridget who uh, is our coordinator for VBS, is not able to be here to have her meeting today, so it's going to be canceled till next week, I believe. I believe it's next week. Jason, and you can pray for him, he and Shelly are in Phoenix, Arizona this morning, where they'll be spending a week in a conference, and so pray that that would go well as they're working on personal spiritual growth as well as things for us back here. But he left a flyer for me to read that he is going to have printed out and passed along. But you can start thinking about this and praying about it. His flyer reads like this. Do you feel spiritually stagnant, stuck, or stymied? Do you have some kind of reaction to the sermon on Sunday, but it's lost by Monday? Do you enjoy the benefits of having others to process your thoughts, questions, and reactions with? Do you appreciate knowing that you're not alone having struggles and successes in following Jesus? Do you desire to see the preaching of God's word have a greater impact in and on your life? Are you willing to help and be helped by a brother or sister as they pursue a dedicated life to Jesus? If so, then consider joining a UP group. UP stands for Utilizing Preaching. It will meet once a week in an agreed time Uh, to discuss, apply, and pray over the sermon. Special material and instruction will be given out for the groups to consider and work through. Just asking you right now to pray with it and to see if you sense that you might have any interest in getting together with three or four other people that can meet when you meet. And if you can't meet at all, for those of you that are into all the Facebook and stuff, that you could even interact through something like that. So give that some thought and pray about that. And then when he gets back, he'll give you more information. couple minutes or seconds Paul is going to pray as we prepare our hearts for worship but let me uh, dedicate this time to prayer. Our Father in heaven thank you that we can be here today to be with our brothers and sisters. We come to join together as one voice to worship the God the Creator, God our Savior, and God the Holy Spirit. We ask that you would come and be with us today to empower us to give you worship worthy the King of the Universe So come and be with us today. Be honored as we dedicate this time to you. In the name of our risen Savior, Jesus, amen.
1: Lord, we thank you so much for these past five years that Gerard has been here in Clarion and the difference that he's made in so many people's lives. Even people outside of of Clarion University, he's just touched so many lives with his love for you his enthusiasm, and uh, and we just thank you for that. And Lord, we just pray that you would bless him abundantly as he transitions right across the USA to Fresno, California. Be with him. Prepare the way for him as this is a brand new adventure for them there in Fresno and obviously for Gerard as well. Lord, just be with him in a tremendous way as he goes to the beach this summer, giving himself again and various other things and just prepare him for um, this new adventure. We pray for John as he's coming to the campus. We thank you for him. We just pray that people would be 100% behind him and and just welcome him and care for him and want to make a difference in his life as he makes a difference in the lives of students here in Clarion. Lord, we just commit this uh, wonderful organization to you and just pray that there will be many, many more decades of service to you. In your
0: name we pray. Amen. Lots of times we do not thank people and I think the primary reason is because we're afraid we'll miss somebody and then somebody will get offended. But we need to get over that. So Paula, thank you and Scott, thank you and Charlene, thank you for leading us in real worshipful music today. And Gerard, thank you for introducing my sermon today. (laughs) The title of today's sermon is Missing Jesus, and we'll be in Luke 24. Last week we had a good sermon from Jason on the resurrected Christ, and it was resurrection morning, and talking about the reasonableness of it, but we know we get our real proof from the Holy Spirit himself. Later that day, I was flipping around channels on the TV last Easter, trying to find a ball game, but I came across David Jeremiah. And he was, of course, doing a resurrection sermon. He said he gets questions from the people in his church often. They'll say, you know, how do I really believe this is true? And he said to them something that was really simple but very profound. I tell my people, just decide you're going to believe it. Just choose to believe it. And I got thinking about that throughout the evening. You know, I go to the doctor. The doctor says you have bronchitis. Take these pills. You'll be better in 10 days. I choose to believe the doctor, right? If I don't believe the doctor, then I probably won't take the medicine. But I make that choice. If someone says I'll give you $500 if you do yard work for me all week, and at the end of the week you'll get paid, I choose to believe that it's true what they told me. Now the difference with that in the Bible, of course, is that God will actually send his spirit to prove that it's true. When we choose like little children to believe, then God does something amazing. He sends his Holy Spirit who helps us to understand and in fact even convinces that what we're reading is true. With that in mind, would you pray with me? Father, as we open up your word, we're choosing right now to believe every word you've spoken through your holy word. But we're asking you to do as you promised. Send your Holy Spirit to give us understanding, to enlighten us, and to help us to learn how we can apply this to our lives as early as this hour. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. Amen. Last week was resurrection morning, and in the text we look at in Luke, angels had announced that Jesus had risen. The women got the news. They ran back, told the eleven. Peter ran to inspect the tomb. Now my question is, did he believe? If you remember the text at the very end of it, he went away wondering what had happened. That afternoon, on Easter Sunday, disciples were still, and by the way, let me say this, when I say disciples, I don't mean the eleven. I mean those that were following Jesus is who disciples are. They were people who were, had bought into his teaching, were listening to him, and trying to become like him. That's what we mean by a disciple. So they were in despair over the crucifixion. They weren't sure what's going on. And now these bits and pieces of news are coming in from a variety of sources. Jesus has risen from the dead. The tomb's empty. Chapter 24 gives us three accounts of the resurrection. There is the one that happened in the morning. That's the women's conversation with the angels at the empty tomb. Then that afternoon, and we're going to look at this in just a second, there's two disciples, two followers of Jesus, not the eleven, two followers of Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And then later that night, the way I'm piecing this together, it must have been darker right after dark. Jesus suddenly appears in her midst. In all three of these, there's something parallel that happens in all three all three of them there's first of all we see confusion in every one of them and i want you to kind of the best you can convert commit these to memory because we want to refer to them at the very end of the sermon we see rebuke by jesus saying you should have known this was going to happen why are you surprised then that leads him into teaching them giving them instruction and then they either on their own or are sent by him to go out and tell what they now know to be true, what they saw, what they heard. So they witness. Now, if there's a map up in the screen, there's going to be, we'll see where we believe Emmaus was. It's where that red bubble is. If you can see well enough, you'll see Jerusalem, and off to the east is Bethany, but off to the west is where we think Emmaus was, a little village the road that led from Jerusalem to this little village might look like an old country road today I don't know if this is a good representation of that or not or if it was just a path but it was not a superhighway. that's we know for sure and the story that we're about to read has two followers of Jesus walking on that now the picture that's up in the screen makes it appear that they're just not having a casual conversation they're really into a big discussion about this like maybe they're arguing about it. What would they be arguing about? They were arguing, by the way. They were probably each had their own opinions of what happened that day. What does this all mean? Jesus, we thought he was the Messiah, the king. He's dead. Now they're saying somebody took the body. Now there's somebody even saying an angel appeared to somebody who's risen from the dead. And so they're trying to figure out what happens. As they walk down the path, all of a sudden... In their mind, somebody catches up from behind and starts having a conversation with them. And so let's pick this up in Luke 24, beginning with verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing Jesus himself came near and began to walk with them, but they were prevented from recognizing him. Let me pause for just a minute. What's this, they were prevented from recognizing him? Well, maybe two things both at the same time. At least two's taking place here. Jesus had something he needed to teach them. If they realized this was Jesus himself, they'd have been so excited that they wouldn't have paid attention to what he needs to teach about them, which is about their unbelief right now and why they should believe there's another thing. is It's just their mindset. They believed Jesus was the Messiah. The, that meant they believed he was the coming king that would sit on the throne, restore Israel to the promised land, its rightful place, put the Romans in their place, and he would rule on David's throne forever. Now, that was partially true, but what they didn't get out of Scripture was it said that this Messiah would first suffer many things. And they couldn't get that through their head. So they partly were prevented from realizing it was Jesus because that wasn't even a possibility. But Jesus asked him, what's this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. Like, why in the world is he asking that for? Because they said, the one named Cleopas answered, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem... Who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? What things, he asked. They said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we, we were hoping that he was the one that was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those were with us and went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they, they didn't see him. He said to them, now here comes the review, we've seen the confusion. How foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets had spoken about. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? The closer I get with the Lord, the more often he says, didn't you understand I already told you about this and what you read last week? So I can't be too critical of these people. Because I miss hearing what Jesus says to me all the time. And he rebukes me all the time. At least when I have enough gumption to go sit at his feet and listen to what he has to say. Being rebuked by Jesus isn't a bad thing, by the way. It's a good thing. Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets. Now Moses and the prophets is the sum total of the Old Testament. That's the only Bible there was at that time. The New Testament hadn't been written. So he's saying all through the Bible, all through the Old Testament, and that's why it's necessary for us to read the Old Testament, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all scriptures. The whole Old Testament points to Jesus coming in just the way that he did. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going to go a little further. When they, but they urged him, stay with us, It's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. Why did they recognize him now? Well, some believe that when he blessed the bread and prayed, they said, the only one that prays like that is Jesus. This must be Jesus. There's others who say, well, Jesus supernaturally hid, some, hid who, his identity from them, and now he pulled that back, and he let them see them. And that's probably true, too. And then there's others who believe when he went to break the bread and lifted up his hands, what did they see? Yeah, there's some of us who believe, and I am absolutely one of them that when jesus comes again though when we die our spirit will be with him immediately but when we die when he returns we'll get a bodily resurrection that means we get a brand new body and it'll be perfect absolutely no pain no death everything about us will be perfect our body will be made to last a billion and a billion and a billion years and that's just getting started it's made to last forever we believe we won't have a mark or blemish on our bodies that we'll have forever, except for one person. We believe one person will have a scar in each hand and in the side to remind all of us for eternity how much He loves us, our King loves us, and the price He paid for us to be with Him in this paradise. Verse 32. Jesus disappears then they said to each other weren't our hearts burning within us when he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us that very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem they found the eleven and those uh, with those gathered together who said the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon then they began to describe what happened to them on the road and how he was made known to them breaking of bread they get back to with the 11 it's just a few miles but I knew it was getting late in the day when Jesus was with him I imagine these people were a lot better shape than me because I think they sprinted back to Jerusalem and why not as exciting as that would have been if I ever had a reason to run fast again in my life it would be for that reason they, but when they get there, they can't even start telling about what they saw because everybody else was abuzz. So and so saw Jesus. We heard he was seen over here. Peter himself has seen him since you were last here. And they said, Well, you want to hear about us when we were on the way back to Emmaus. And then they told him their story. Now I digress a minute because I, like, I want to talk about trains. I've always had a fascination with trains ever since I was a little kid. There was a train called the L.E.F. and C. I I believe, that ran from Clarion out behind Stratford down to Somerville. Carried a lot of the glass plant things. I was fascinated the whole time growing up. Anytime I heard the whistle, I had to run to the backyard because I could see it down over the hill. I'm so fascinated with trains that I'm gonna take my first Amtrak ride this September, if the Lord blesses those plans that I've made. I'm gonna go out to Denver, get on it there, and ride over the mountains into San Francisco. So when I saw, read the story, well, that's what caught my eye with the story because it was about trains, it was a guy who was preaching on the road to Emmaus. And so I'd like to share his story with you at this time. And it has something to do with the train. He writes, did you hear the story about that important business executive who boarded the train from New Orleans to Washington, D.C.? He was a heavy sleeper, and he needed to be awakened in order to get off the train in Atlanta. And he had to get awake and off the train at 5 a.m. He had a very, very, very important business engagement. So he went and found the porter, and he said, listen, I want you to awaken me in order that I might get off the train at 5 a.m. Now listen, I'm a heavy sleeper. It doesn't matter how much I fret and fuss and fume or what I do, I have to get off the train in Atlanta. If you have to remove me bodily, you get me off that train in Atlanta. Do you understand? The porter said, yes, sir, I'll do the best I can. Well, the next morning, he awakened at 9 in the morning. He slept all night, and he missed his stop in Atlanta. And now he's speeding towards D.C. Guess who he went looking for. He found that porter, and he really poured it on with all sorts of abusive language, and he almost swung and hit the guy. And after we left, someone said to the porter, how could you stand there and take that kind of talk from that man? The porter, looking rather bewildered, said, that ain't nothing. You should have heard the guy that I put off the train in Atlanta. (laughs) He concludes his story by asking this question or making this statement. Many of us not only fail to get off at the right station, we miss the train. And too many of us, I'm afraid, miss the train of the total gospel message. That's the reason that we need to read on today. Now, if, I, if you don't know who that is, that means you're younger. If I told you that's Paul Harvey, you're going to say, well, then I know what you're about to say, Randy. And now, the rest of the story. In verse 36 as they were saying these things all talking about their experiences he jesus stood in their midst and said peace to you but they were startled and terrified they thought they were seeing a ghost why are you so troubled he asked and why do you why do doubts arise in your hearts look at my hands and at my feet that it is i myself touch me and see because a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have having said this he showed them his hands and his feet but while they were still amazed and in disbelief because of their joy he asked them do you have anything here to eat so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it in their presence how could they have missed Jesus but isn't that just like us isn't this just like what we do as human beings it's kind of discouraging at times when I look back and say, look at the times that I miss Jesus. They just were talking about him. He's alive. He is resurrected. Peter saw him. We saw him out on the road. Everybody's telling their story. Jesus is with them, and oh, who are you? you know, it's, there was no anticipation of Jesus ever coming to them. That's what they were missing. But what about us? Look how many times we miss Jesus. There is that wife who because Jesus has spoken to her in the quietness of her ear is trying to fumble around an apology to her husband but he doesn't see Jesus there. He's too prideful and he wants to be right so he wants to continue the argument and he misses seeing that Jesus showed up at that time. What about a friend who comes to you to help you solve a problem? Did you miss seeing that Jesus Jesus was the one who brought him there and is using him to help solve the problem? What about that nurse's aide who's lovingly bathing your spouse or an elderly parent and they are doing so with such joy because Jesus told them, this is something you can do for me. And with the joy and the peace that I get. What about coming to a sermon sometime when Jason's preaching and your heart, just like the Two on the road to Emmaus your heart starts stirring a little bit or you're reading the Bible and your heart starts stirring too often what we do is dismiss that feeling and we get away from it instead of saying Lord is that you here trying to speak to me through these words through this sermon people will say Jesus lives in my heart and I'm going to be honest with you sometimes I want to scream and say what does that mean what I really mean is what do you mean when you say that. I'm not saying it's not true. But people are saying, yeah, everything's all right with me because Jesus lives in my heart. But they're just saying, I say I I believe in Jesus, and that's about as far as it goes. What I want to offer you today is this suggestion, and I want to offer it to myself. Let's practice looking for Jesus because he's in our midst all the time. We just fail to see him most of the time. Others who represent Jesus. When Jesus says, I'm going to use this person to come in your midst, maybe to minister to me. Don't miss seeing Jesus is in their heart and is in their mind. When I see, I see this all the time around here. I'm at a vantage point where I can see Jesus in the hearts of many people. And they're going about their things. They're not... Taking up the offering. They're not doing the sound system. They're not, and I could be folding bulletins. They're not doing all these things because they think that earns them a ticket to heaven. They're doing that because Jesus is in their heart and they want to be Jesus to other people. Number two, be Jesus to those who need Him. You be Jesus. Can I be Jesus? How could I be Jesus? You're called to be Jesus and His representative. And number three, I urge you to look to see Jesus and those who need help. In fact, I want to refresh your memory about this. Remember near the end of Matthew, Jesus says, whoever you gave food to, whoever you gave water to, whoever you visited in prison, whoever you clothed, you were doing it to." Being Jesus to other people. Here's some practical ways I believe you can do this. Look to see who the spirit is moving you to invest your life into somebody there are all kind of people that need the help of jesus they're there in front of us every day we just miss it because we're too busy with their lives who can you invest your life in that would be a good thing to ask you can start doing that today that's a simple thing right open up my eyes lord let me see who jesus needs to help today and I get to be his representative. Praise the Lord, I get to represent Jesus today. If Jesus were here, he would. That's a good question to ask. Okay, I'm not sure what to do right now, but in this situation right here, if Jesus were here right now, knowing him, the best I do, as I read scripture and set in sermons and go to Bible studies, here's what I think he would want me to do. Ask, how can I help not assigning any fault or blame. We're quick to want to rush to judgment. That just comes by human nature. Okay, No strings attached. I want to help you. I'm not here to tell you you should have known better and shouldn't be in this situation. I'm just here to help you. I'm just here to love you. And learn to experience Jesus more and more as you grow into faith. And as you do, start looking around you for ways that you can help other people experience Jesus. Maybe this study groups or these sermon groups that Jason wants to put together, if nothing else comes out of it, but it's a way that three or four or five of you can get together and talk about how to experience Jesus, that would be one of the greatest things you'd ever do. But listen. This is going to cost me if I do those things, Randy. Of course it's going to cost you. We call that cross-bearing. When you gently love and help somebody that has addictions, it costs you agony and pain and emotional distress, time and energy. But I'm dying to myself so I can let Jesus live through me. When you care for parents or a loved one as they age, and you do it with the grace and the love of Jesus Christ, And you say, this is how Jesus is going to come to them, through me. I'm not going to wait for others to come and do what I can do. When you go to a job you can't stand, and you're joyful, and you're productive in it, because you're going to work as if you're working for Jesus, and you see Jesus even in the job you don't like. He's there, if you take a look. When your spouse walked out the door and left you and the kids there, and you're a single parent trying to raise your kid... You could choose to be bitter and upset about your lot in life. Or you could say, Jesus is right in the middle of this situation. And so I'm going to trust that he's going to empower me to raise my kids loving him and caring about him. And we're going to get our source of strength from him. When you're single, you remain pure. Because that's part of the cross that you have to bear. Maybe Mother Teresa had some of the best advice for us. She didn't sit around, I don't think. I don't know. I didn't read a lot by her or about her, but I don't think she sat around and talked about deep doctrine and argued, well, who's right? Is the Presbyterian's right or the Methodist's right or all this? She believed things like this. I see Jesus in every human being. I say to myself, this right here is hungry Jesus. I must feed him. This is sick Jesus. This one has leprosy. This one has gangrene. I must wash him and tend to him. I serve because I love Jesus. Jesus is in the middle of everything if we open up our eyes and see him and if we expect him to come. If you don't expect to see Jesus, guess what I think you probably won't see him. Jesus is a matter of the heart and deciding, making a choice. I choose to believe in Jesus and I choose to see Jesus in you and you, and you. And I choose to see who's ministering to me, and I give God the glory. Praise you, Father, that I get to see Jesus at work in the lives of my brothers and sisters at First Baptist. This is a wonderful thing you're doing for me, Lord. Yes, you have to bear your cross to live like this. But I want to warn you, Mark eight thirty-five, Jesus makes this simple statement. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. He's talking about eternal life. But if you give up your life for my sake and the sake of the good news, the gospel, you will find true life. It isn't, isn't, maybe it's about living for Jesus. We sing that song, right? It isn't, okay, it probably is something about living for Jesus. If you're a Christian, what you're saying is, the cross to me means, Jesus died to pay for my sins now I pick up my cross which is I die to myself and I let Jesus live his life through me and now listen Jesus went back and said I go back because if I go back then the Holy Spirit will come what did that really mean it means Jesus can be everywhere at one time the way round this globe right He can, Jesus can be with you and you and you and somebody in China and somebody in Australia all at the same time Jesus can minister to the world of his holy spirit he's come he went back so we would have this helper so that he could come and live his life through every single follower of his disciple of his what can we expect if we go looking for jesus i think you can expect four things why are we any different than those people we can expect confusion. There's times where confusion will be the beginning of us opening up our eyes and see Jesus if we practice it and ask God to help train us to be this kind of follower. Will we, will we get a rebuke from time to time? or well, if you're going to confront Jesus, you probably will. That's okay. That's a good thing. You'll get instruction. He'll come and teach you and help you if you'll give him your life in this manner. and it'll cause you to want to witness and testify. This is what Jesus says. This is what he's doing. This is what he wants for you. And you're able to be give a credible and authentic testimony. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that means you're a disciple, that means you're a Christian, an authentic true Christian, you should expect Jesus to come to you for an encounter. He wants to do this, I believe, on a regular basis. My prayer is for myself and for all of you that we don't miss him when he comes, that we experience Jesus Christ, the risen king. He gave his life so that we don't burn in hell, but we live forever with those perfect bodies. Can we do anything less than let him use us to reach out to everyone